This week on the Thereabouts podcast, it's hallucinations, hill running, and home riding. I sat down with my little bro and fellow Thereabouts founder, Lachlan Morton, to talk about the year that was, the current lockdown situation, and what he is looking forward to in the future. Hi, hello, howdy, how are you going? Welcome to another episode of the Thereabouts podcast. I hope everyone is being safe and courteous out there, or in there, rather. I hope everyone's staying indoors and not unnecessarily outdoors, I guess. Um, We have a fantastic show for you this week. Sitting halfway across the country is my good buddy, Isaac Carson. How's living? In the living room, go on. <laughs> uh, it's going well. You know, it's me and uh, spending a lot of time with my plants, getting to know them, and and uh, yeah, and also I guess um, since we're doing these fr- uh, frequently, I should probably buy a microphone. I guess I could Amazon Prime it or something like that. Uh, but no one has complained about my audio yet, so no real rush. Well. Let's uh, jump into this week's show. This week's guest, obviously, is my little brother uh, and the fellow founder of Thereabouts, Lockie. Um, Lock has been blazing a trail in the world of professional cycling since his number plate wearing days as a 20-year-old on the Garmin Sharp team to the cross-country vision quest that was Thereabouts to his genre-bending escapades with the EF Alternative Programme. And this episode really is all about the solo journey, Um, experiencing the outdoors and just being with ourselves. It really has made all of us think about why the gravel and adventure scene really has taken off. That's exactly it. And and, and I got an opportunity um, as the quarantine has my whole family all together uh, here in Colorado to pick Lockie's brain about, you know, what he rides and races for nowadays. Um, the personal experience of racing events like the GB Giro and the Colorado Trail, as well as his mission to broaden people's perspective on what cycling is and can be, uh, the issues facing the world tour, and the changing value of an athlete in the evolving media climate. This was a a bit of a roaming and, and, and uh, pretty in-depth recap of, of the year and, and it was great to get a little insight into where Lockie's at in his career and, and where he wants to go. Hope you enjoy. Testing. Yeah, mine's working. It's recording. Why don't you tell me uh, a little bit about where we are and the current the current situation? Uh, <coughs> we're at home at my parents' house in the in the basement. And we're lo- on lockdown, COVID lockdown. And uh, that's uh, that's mum and dad. You can probably hear in the background. Um, they're in the kitchen cooking dinner. We are indeed in lockdown. So, Lockie, it's been a uh, it's been an interesting sort of eighteen months for you. I think it's pretty uh, safe to say. Yeah, last year was like the dream year. Um, it was sort of a culmination of a lot of years of. Um, working out like my own place I guess in the sport and what I wanted to do um and then like an opportunity arose that um just never never comes along you know um and it was sort of like right at that point where I'd sort of I'd done world tour racing I'd I'd stepped away from it um and I was looking for like something in between (laughs) and like that that just sort of manifested um not to say like it wasn't by chance like there's a lot of work that went into it but um yeah like there was the, the perfect like situation for me because i could r- race world tour races and also like have the freedom to go do a bunch of new stuff that like i'd always wanted to do what excites you about racing your bike i mean it's the it's the unknown of it it's like the like men's um men's elite 
professional road cycling is such a small slither of what bike racing is mm-hmm. um yet it gets like all the coverage right so if you if you think of if you say to like you know a border agent what do yeah. you do for a living you say ride bikes they say oh tour de france lance armstrong like that's what people understand um and that's all i'd spent my career doing was racing road bikes so then like you see you're you're on this like thin little layer of what cycling is so you're stepping out into like this whole other world that exists out there um which is the way the majority of people experience bikes so uh, what excites me is like discovering that so working what other people get out of it um because like what we do is very performance oriented but the majority of people who ride bikes will never compete and have no ambitions to compete, you know? Even if they're taking taking part in these same events that, you know, we're racing, their their goal is not to win. They're looking for something else. So like that's what I was hoping to get out of it and I and ultimately did get out of it. It was seeing seeing what what those people are getting out of riding bikes. Can you just tell me a little bit about Cape Epic because that was going to be your first alternate race this year and you went down there, event was cancelled, but you still had a pretty interesting experience. Yeah, yeah. So Cape Epic was the first of the alternate calendar races um, and it was like a huge, it's a huge bucket list race for me, still is, haven't ticked it off because yeah. we, it's like the biggest mountain bike stage race in the world um, and Mountain biking is always something that's like intimidated me quite a lot. Um, mm. So, yeah, to be able to like go and do that, um, like with the support that we had, and like it was just, it's a huge opportunity to be able to do. Um, and yeah, I was doing it with Alex, and it's sort of one of the first races that I saw outside of. Um, road racing i guess because it's like a mountain bike race that gets a huge amount of coverage um so yeah i, I really wanted to go do it so like we kind of we i had like a chat with tom before and it was like look let's just go and see what happens um and we went and the race got cancelled <laughs> <laughs> so we came up um but yeah we were down there for like a week before oh not even maybe four days and then two nights before the race was supposed to start, it got, it got cancelled. And then on that, like, everything's been cancelled now, right? Like, the whole world. What do you train for? Like, are you still training? I'm probably not, like, a great representation of the majority of athletes because I don't really <laughs> need a goal. Yeah. Like, it's, for me, I do it just for, for myself anyway. So, like, it's not like uh, now I'm like, ah, oh, shit, there's no, you know cancer next month that i'm gonna be like i'm just gonna sit at home and watch netflix and like you know like i got no goal like i don't sort of need that um purpose anymore so like i still go out riding and we're lucky enough here to be able to ride outside so like i've been out just sort of riding on my mountain bike and um i don't know like it's 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 annoying for sure in that like your life on the whole doesn't really have um like a massive purpose Mm. i guess but i still enjoy getting out and riding because i don't really treat it as training much anymore so like yeah in that regard like i'm probably not a good representation i think there's a lot of athletes out there who just now like Oh shit! <laughs> you know, like and and that's like is like have you what is the sentiment amongst like other guys racing other other pro athletes are, are people like you know what's the sentiment? Among, uh, are, like, I the think there's a lot of angst and a lot of worry because like um, you know like professional sports not a a necessary uh, it's it's not it's not a necessary thing right it's entertainment mm. so like. In a in a situation like this, the first thing that gets cut are things that are not necessary, um, and it's kind of I guess it's probably confronting. Well, it is confronting to know that like your livelihood um, kind of relies on 
you, you're just an entertainer, right? <laughs> so like in a serious situation, your your occupation is immediately just sort of obsolete. Um, so as you said, like I think for a lot of athletes, like they lose the event and then they lose the goal and they lose the purpose. So it's like, shit, what am I doing? Um, so I'm sure there's a lot of athletes out there right now who are going through that like angst and worry um, of, you know, not only, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of athletes who like, you know, have been waiting for the Olympics for four years yeah. and then maybe it was their last Olympics and that was their, their career kind of hinged on this, you know? Um, so I, I think there's a lot of athletes out there and probably a lot more serious situation than we are currently in bike riding. Um, I think we're sort of yet to see the real implications. Um, but I don't think anyone really knows like the situation's evolving mm. really quickly. Do you think that there is a greater role, I mean, in this current situation, but do you think that in, within society, right, like your the role of sport and your role, do you think there is something greater than just simply being something to watch, something to like pass the time? Yeah, I mean, I think like um, like sport is obviously it's super important, right? Mm. Um, for like a variety of reasons, but I think like a really big one is just like community, um, because you know, like it's it brings together a, a bunch of people um, over like a very simple activity, whatever. If that means you follow a soccer team or you ride a bike or you're a runner who like does park run on a saturday or yeah. it's like it's all community um so like when that gets taken away um i mean it's a huge it's a loss it's like a loss of identity there's a lot that goes that goes along with that mm. um so i mean i think cycling it's kind of unique right now in that like there's like the fact that there's like say Zwift, yeah, like the community can still exist, right? Um, and so that like seems to be that that, that community happen, seems to be thriving, right? Yeah, the community's still there, um, and like I don't know, like we that we released the EF Gone Racing film today mm. that doesn't have a race in it, yeah, and there was still a whole bunch of people excited to get on there and watch it, um, which I think is like. I don't know, maybe that's like a representation of like the shifting sort of values in sport. I don't know. Um, it's hard to say. Do you think there's a shifting value in sport? Do you think, sorry, the values um, that people uh, appreciate about sport are shifting and the things that they want to see in athletes and want to see in sport is changing? Uh, I think people just want to participate in sport now. It's not enough to watch it. Mm. You know, I think that's why, um, like, cycling on the whole is becoming more popular, um, and that's not necessarily reflected in like professional racing, mm -hmm. um, because I think like I don't know, it's not enough to just watch a bunch of really high-paid like. Um, super talented guys go out there and do their thing. They, like I don't think people get enough out of that anymore. Um, and people want to be involved um, and people want the challenge. Um, doesn't mean there's not a place for the professional athlete because they want to also compare themselves to um, like the elite. But Is it more than just results though now? Like it's not like you're not looking at... Yeah. You know, like for example, like Lance Armstrong, right? was incredibly popular during his career yeah. despite like being pretty controversial and like pretty cutthroat. Do you, like, you know, so everyone loved him because he was dominant. Yeah. Um, is that, do you, do you, I mean, I feel like that's changing. Does that, is that sentiment yeah. passed on with your relationship with fans? And Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think people um, also like in the age of, of social media, really people can, get a much bigger insight into people's personality um, and the way they go about doing what they do, mm. which I think people, 
you know, I mean, if you use, say, Armstrong as an example, if you want to use that example, um, you know, you didn't really, all you got to really see then at that time was the race that, that happened, totally. right? And the documentaries that Discovery Channel put out or whatever. Yeah. So you never really got to see the way he went about doing what he did. And mm. then when people found out the way he went about doing what he did, a lot of people were shocked, you know, because they were looking at it purely from totally. an outside perspective. It was perspective. all managed, yeah. Whereas now you live in a world where like, you know, there's so much engagement with with fans on a day-to-day level through social media that they can see the way you go about the way you do things right you know yeah, so like got you. so like work ethic and things like that work like, ethic like if you're like that, that real fun, picture if you're like mm. super you know strict boring or like whatever they sort of see the way you go about doing it which like so they're seeing personality it, yeah exactly so when you looked at like i think that's why like a team like sky got so much pushback initially is that they tried to like put up that screen again of like well, it's only results that matter, so like, we're not going to let you guys in at all. So we're going like, to give you the thirty-second interview at the door of the bus mm. each day, and but we're not going to let you see inside of the process. So it's like the tide shifted from the balance of power shifted from like the athlete being the most important thing in sport to now it being back to being the fan and like, yeah, what, what value the greater society or greater community is getting from yeah from I think, the sport and the, and the event i think so like i think people value the result is still important it doesn't absolutely like, yeah but i think people value now even more so the way you go about getting that result yeah got you which is why like like in my opinion if you look at someone like rigo yeah he's the most valuable guy in cycling right you know because he he, not only does he kick ass, but like he's just an absolute character and a legend. Totally. And, and like, I mean, he doesn't kick ass as much as some other bike riders. No. But he's, no. like you said, valuable. Like, like he is, like exactly. any team would kill to have him. Yeah. And for the, for the results he's able to produce in the way he goes about getting <laughs> them is insane. Like that ratio, if you yeah. could like put a ratio on it, you know? Yeah, exactly. He's, Whereas like he's hitting, the, he's hitting the golden insane, mean. insane, right? Yeah. But like the way he goes about getting them, you're like, well, all right. If like, yeah, who knows if I lived in Tenerife for six months a year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, 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 the coo- <laughs> it's the coolness. It's the coolness <laughs> to performance ratio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, is it, yeah. And it's just like the, the way you go about doing things yeah, is, absolutely. is important. And now I think that's like, you can see that, right? Like, the, you you get a, you get a much better idea of than you used to be able to like ten years ago, and then on that right, so we're in this big this situation right now where the world shut down, a lot of stuff is going to be reset after this, you know, like the Tour de France, all that shit, like it's all fucked up. So the world tour, I mean, just the world in general, right? It will be different after this. Having said what, like having this discussion just now, like what do you want or if you could choose, right, how do you want to see the world tour kick back off? What what role do you want to see, you know, what you describe as a really thin slither of representation of the sport or the rep- representation of riding a bike? Like what would you change? How do you want to see, you know, keep going the way it was? Like what's, you know, uh, exciting for you if you were able to make that? Yeah, like if you're looking purely at like men's road cycling, like what needs to change? It's a hard, that's it's such a hard question, right? Because there's Mm. so many like, there's so many different factors. um, And that like you look at like the model of the team sponsorship and then you look at like the power that ASO has and then like what the UCI. The the issue I, I think in like men's, professional cycling is like this the main stakeholders like have nothing to to gain by changing the status quo right yep um in that like they are so very happy to have like the tour de france just stay the biggest race in the world because of course they would right they own that it's it's a hugely successful event and if you look at like the tour de france in isolation you're like it's great right 
Like you would yeah, change, exactly. You yeah, would change anything. It's like that's what the, the history of the sport is. Um, and the tough, the tough thing I think with with road cycling is like there's so much uh, tradition, which is what it makes the sport so appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, is that there is like these ties to like a really old era and like the history of the races is often like they've been running for a hundred years and um similar course you know so like there's heritage there's yeah there's a heritage that like is it's invaluable to like the sport but it's also what holds it back right so it's a really tough um like i don't have the answer to it um but i think the more you can celebrate all facets of cycling it should balance itself out um so if you can celebrate what the majority of people are doing on their bikes by participating and bringing some of that coverage from men's racing to other events and mm-hmm. highlight other things that are going on if like a if there's a broader balance of that coverage then everyone will be forced to adapt in different areas right because it won't be like if if all the coverage is skewed one way and there's a, then they hold a the few people who are making money who are, who have the power. It's not going to change. So like yeah, it's not going to be egalitarian. Yeah. So if you can sort of be involved in that and then be like, okay, but let's also shine a light over here at what all these other people are doing on bikes. Um, maybe that'll get generate enough interest. And it's starting to, like, a, there's more people riding off road. Um, and like there's events like Kansa and, and Leadville that are starting to um, starting to really kick ass, you know. So then like what happens at a World Tour level? Like they put 50Ks of dirt into Paris Tours. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe that's yeah. a small thing and it is. But like it's something. That, that was a pure like, you know, knee-jerk reaction from being like, oh, gravel racing. Yeah, we need gravel in it. <laughs> you know, now so it. like it's a small, if you... If if they see that like ah oh, you know there's more and more people looking in in other places away from road cycling they're like well we need to adapt so that's sort of that's how I mean I don't have yeah any other answers apart from like I think if you can just broaden you know the spectrum of of engagement of of road fans mountain bike fans everyone so they they just look at it as bike riding um, that balance will like take care of itself i think and on that right so talking about that you obviously did something along those lines last year right where you went and raced a bunch of different races what racing last year were you most challenged by intrigued with like can you speak a little bit about some of the moments that you had that are memorable from 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 that last year of racing you know like yeah it's one of those things that like it's a really hard question to answer because everyone wants to know that like what was what which race did you enjoy the most i'm just more yeah i'm like most unique moments is probably a better way like yeah yeah no i know but like it's an interesting question because it's like it's totally makes it's a normal question to ask (laughs) right because like people want to be like what have i got to get if i got to get a dual suspension mountain bike or do i need a gravel bike or if I go yeah. get bags, you know, exactly. Like, do I want to do three peaks or do, exactly. do I want to do the like I can ultra only do one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? so what's like, the best? Which one's the best? And it's like I want the Ferrari. It's impossible to say because they're all very different experiences. So like the only way I can really go about explaining is to just go through them all. <laughs> yeah. Like so initially there was Kansas, um, which was wild, you know, because like. A, it's like a 300k day out and it's a race and it's all off-road. Well, there's like 5k's on road. Yeah. Um, which like, that's not the story. The story is the fact that, you know, there's like 2,000 other people out there taking this huge day on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like whether they're ready or not, they're taking it on. And they're all just out there on like a vision quest, you know, half of like, there's like 50 guys who are racing. And yeah. then, you know, there's and the rest like, are like doing their own. Exactly. Everyone's just getting searching. getting around, you know. There's some people who are from Emporia who that's the day they spend on a bike every year, you know. Yeah, no shit. Like they <laughs> just don't like, even ride at all. And they're like, I'll just stay out. Fuck that. Like 320K. Oh, that makes me nervous thinking about that. Yeah. 
And it's like, there's a lot of things that can break on your bike. There's a lot of stuff that can happen. <laughs> a lot of human spirit that can be broken into. Yeah, and like you're out there by yourself, you know? Like, um, so I think what I, the community element is what I remember most about Kansas. And cool, that yeah. you, there was just this huge energy and like shared experience mm-hmm. um, that I'd never felt at another cycling event. You know, it's kind of felt like being at like, you know, a music festival when it's like yeah, one of the really. last aspect, like one of the last shows of the night. Yeah. And everyone headliner. comes around the, the stage and like, it's just like everyone's on the same level. Yeah. It's like that feeling, but at a bike event. Um, Dude, like a healthy, healthy music festival. Yeah. And then plus you've got like this huge like community of people in the town who are like benefiting from having this bike race, which like are people who, totally. you know, 10 years ago probably couldn't care less for cyclists whereas probably, now it's like a the huge first edition lifeline. of the race so probably like what the fuck is this like, yeah this sucks um, and now they love it, it. yeah and it's great um and i like the way i like to say it, it'd be like if you know you went to like broken hill in australia and held a bike race except yeah, like really normally you'd be afraid to wear lycra there but then you know you've got all these people who love it for those <laughs> non uh australian listeners broken hill is like a iconic town they kind of film mad max around there um in the far uh western region of new south wales it's rural but like it's yeah it's like out in the desert it's but it's got like a a ton of character like some cool cool old pubs and like around exactly you're not exactly you're not cruising into the pub in a pair of nicks or like you know yeah so okay that's dirty cancer yeah the Uh, next was gb juro yeah and gb juro was um hugely influential on me and that i didn't i'd always read about ultras um never understood it Mm. thought it was stupid slowly came around to the idea of like well there's obviously something to it um and then it's like all right let's give one a go because something like that you can't and it's the same issue i have right now is you can't explain it until you do it right and totally. so I, I jumped into it um <clears throat> and at the, at the, when i jumped into it i thought i was very prepared and now no i was not really prepared at all um, do you think you could ever be prepared for something like that though not first time around yeah. i don't think um because it's all mental yeah. um i think i was lucky in that i'd spent a lot of time by myself riding <laughs> Yeah. Like, so, which means you spend a lot of time in your own head, so you you could be aware of what's going on in your own brain. Yeah, it's not like you're just uncovering a new room in the brain. No, it's like the basement, and you're like, oh shit. Yeah, but I will say no, that once you fucking... went tick past like twelve hours on the bike, it's a totally new room you're going. Into. <laughs> yeah. And then you tick past like twenty four hours, and it's like <laughs> a whole new fucking garage you didn't know you had downstairs. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. There's a, there's the a second level of the basement. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, shit, all these bodies down here. Yeah. I didn't know I killed anyone. Um, so like that, in yeah. that regard, like that was wild. Um, and so like the mental aspect of that one was huge. Um, and I've got a huge amount of respect for anyone who takes those on. Mm. But the idea of being like self-sufficient on your bike Um and being able to travel huge distances on like all kinds of terrain and have everything you need just contained in like a few small bags was like huge game changer. And that like to being able to realize you can just sustain yourself. Yeah. Like I've, like by the time I got for four days, I was like, oh, I could just keep going. <laughs> you know, like yeah, right. I've so you got, got everything I need. You like, you like, you like ticked over and you're just like, this is my life now. Totally. Well, and you're like, I have everything I need here. And you kind of, it's weird in that you, the race is, is taking place at, in normal life, right? You're just traveling through people going through going regular... Going to work and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So Most people are going for... And you're on this like epic, you know, adventure. But like, and you stop at like a grocery store to like buy some bananas or something. People look at you like, what's that? Exactly. Oh, smell like shit and yeah. whatever. And they're just like, you know, on their way to work getting like a sandwich <laughs> you know, from like the <laughs> yeah. refrigerator like um 
so in that regard, you're kind of like, oh, well, you can just kind of exist on the, on the outside of society, I guess, with yeah. like a bike and like a few things in the bag and just go. And you know, like you don't, there's no, like my idea of like what the limitations were was just blown out of the park. That's what I really took away from that. Because I'm like, shit, you could just, you could go forever. Theoretically. You know, yeah. like, like, <laughs> and I, like I felt better and better as I went and was going faster and faster and like mentally felt a lot better by the last day. Like there's a whole bunch of things that happened that you're just like, shit, you could just keep going. Um, so like so you went from really like the simple. first day being like shit counting down the hours to the end of the stage mm. to like the last day when you were just like, shit, I'm getting closer. Like it's all going to be over. Do I really want this yeah, to I end? I don't want it to finish, right? So like... And do you think there's, do you think like there's something in that, that like in that simplicity, because I know like anyone who does ultras, they talk about that a lot. Like, do you think that that's something that, you know, everyone should, should try like that pairing back of your entire life to, as you said, a couple of bags and like doing something like that? Well, I think you just take stock of like things that are very important, right? Yeah. Um, and it starts with like, say it's gear, mm-hmm. right? You have a good jacket, replaces like five other useless products. Yeah. Um, a good undershirt means that you don't need that other jersey. Or like, so like when you look at it like from like a basic principle, it's like get, have like good quality things, not a lot of things. Mm. Things you know work versus shit that you know you thought you should have just because someone like else had it yeah um but then that goes to like a another level and you then like because you get into your own head so you look at like your own relationships or, and you're like well there's all this bullshit around like all these things i do say so like in a relationship and you're like well why do i bother with all this other shit when it's yeah. just like this is all i'm really looking for Right? Why don't I just say what I mean? <laughs> or like, yeah, got you. Or like, why do I spend time on this person? Yeah. Or why do I not spend more time on this person? Right? Um, so that's the ne- like, it's like a cleaning out process. It's like a defrag. Yeah. So I found afterwards that like, um, I threw out a bunch of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, I've got a lot less things now. <laughs> Tell me about how we've got Scottish heritage, right? Tell me about yeah. crossing into Scotland because I think that's like a funny... Yeah, just tell just tell that tell that story. Yeah, I went into Scotland and I felt like I was at home. <laughs> like it was weird. I had like a lot of... Not anxiety. Like you just kind of like this nagging feeling until I got to Scotland that like there was going to be some catastrophic event that yeah. just made this journey impossible, you know, and that I wouldn't be able to overcome it. Yeah, and then like I went into Scotland, and that kind of like slowly dissipated, <laughs> and it was all weirdly familiar, and like the surroundings and everything. I was like, ah, oh, shit, this is also terrain and like countryside and people and like food that I, I like weirdly. And you'd never, never been, never been. <laughs> um, so and then like it was weird. Like once I got to Scotland, I was like, ah. Oh, I could really push up here. You know what I mean? <laughs> could really get stuck in. Yeah, I could really get stuck in and get crazy up here. Nothing bad will happen. <laughs> and then tell me, the next race was... Uh, Leadville. Yeah, which... Um, Leadville was great in that it's very similar to Kansas in that like you look at what it does to a community um, and to be able to see what like a cycling event can do for a community um, in that... You know, Leadville was like super down and out town. Mm. They lost the mine. Um, you know, had like the highest alcohol and abuse rates in the in the country. And then someone brought in a running race that turned into a series that now involves a bike race. Um, and that like turned the whole community around, you know. Um, so now a lot of that community sort of revolves around like these endurance athletic events um and to see what that can do was like amazing um and then personally like 
getting into or at least dipping the toe into a mountain bike event i wouldn't say yeah. i'd say it's an interesting event in that it's right between like where road riders and like mountain bike riders makes like a really nice match up yeah um so yeah that it, it was like awesome day out amazing event would definitely recommend it to anyone it's tough mm. really high altitude um and it's it's a big day out um but for me that sort of planted the seed of like i'd like to do more mountain biking um because i think alex and i surprised ourselves a bit on the more technical terrain in that you know we were in the ballpark (laughs) yeah exactly oh we haven't done much work on this we're not that far like maybe we can which is what planted the seed for for cape epic um so yeah i mean that is just kind of i guess for me it was the most familiar event because i spent a lot of time in colorado spent a lot of time in that area Mm -hmm. um so in that regard i knew what to expect more um so not not i wouldn't say i took it for granted more maybe i just knew it a bit more you know i'd started the race once before um but i i really want to go back yeah it's weird like leadville is the one that um it's like a race i want to go back and win <laughs> like i feel like on, on a very competitive level i'm like i want to win that one i don't know why that's a thing but i'm like it i feel is. like that one's a, a winnable one um where'd you finish this year uh, i was well, last year. third third so you're not far yeah. off no i was second and then i was racing with um howard grotz who's won Cape Epic, he's from Durango, he's won Leadville three times, I think. Um, and we hit the last climb, which is power line together. Um, and he just rode away. Yeah. There was nothing I could do. And I, it was like slow motion, you know, like he just rode away and I knew it was happening and you're just like, shit, <laughs> shit. Easy, and easy. I was already thinking about like, like at the moment I was getting dropped, I was already thinking about how i would do it differently next time you know like that, yeah, got you, yeah. like so that like, present yeah. of mine you know like i, I was, knew it was going to happening nothing i could do about it but i'm like what would i do next time yeah got you got you um and they disappeared out of sight and then i like lost concentration for a while and sort of forgot i was in a race and then i got caught by uh quinn simmons yep i was like oh shit i'm racing again yeah I was going and then Quinn Simmons wouldn't give me a turn. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he's like, ah, oh, I'm tired. I'm like, you caught me, mate. Like, and then um, Stetner came up and we, I owed Stetner one from Kansas. Yeah. Because like when Howes and I, fl- the only chance, old mate had ridden away, uh, Colin Strickland. Yeah. And there's Howes, uh, Stetner and I are chopping off behind. The only chance we had was if we all chopped off to get yeah. him back. And then Howes had like a slow leak. So he was just stopping to like hit it with gas um, or plug it. And it was like, yeah, okay. And then Pete kept going. <laughs> oh, really? So he just didn't? Yeah. So like he, he was like at that moment, he decided he's like, oh, I'm going to snag second. I'm taking second. I'm not giving up No chance first. of win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so then like when Pete caught up at the end of Leadville, I was like, um, no one can... The difference between like second and third is yeah. small. Difference between third and fourth is big. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and I was gotcha. like, I'm, I'm going to follow you, Pete, and I'm going to ride around you with 100 meters to go. Yeah. That's all I'm going to do. Yeah. Like, Quincy, <laughs> you can have a second. Like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I'm coming around, Pete. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> got him a beauty and knew we got that too, you know? Like, afterwards, yeah. he was just like, damn it. <laughs> like, yeah, gotcha. You know, like, I owed you that Yeah, one. exactly. Um, yeah, then after that, the last last event was Three Peaks. Yep. Which is like a weird combination of all of the other events. Um, so, it's super grassroots. It's in the UK. Um, and you basically, you do like a three-hour cyclocross race over Three Peaks. Um, and... A lot of it's not rideable. Like you do a lot of running. Yeah. Um, 
And you just carry your bike. Carry your bike. It's like stone paths. Then there's some road sections. So it's just this weird mix. Um, and it's basically, it's a ridiculous course to race. And you have to do it on a cyclocross bike with <coughs> no bigger than 33C tires. Gotcha. Um, so like to put it in a nutshell, it's like on the, the road sections, you want a road bike. Up the hills, you don't want any bike. You'd rather just be running. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then on the downhills, you want like a dual suspension proper something with a dropper post on it yeah because it's, like <laughs> it's like rocky um and so basically you've never got the right tool for the job but you gotta <laughs> take this bike around the whole thing um and it's it's deadly serious like people who race it you race it and you race it hard you don't like take the piece um and the whole thing, like it seems ridiculous, but there's this whole community built around it. Yeah. Um, and like the the community element of it was sick. <laughs> you know, like there's people like building like tiny little parts for their bikes and like doing all this shit because it's like peaks comes around once yeah. a year and it's like they're always like just honing in and then it's like understanding the course. So like, no, this shortcut, like this little bit. So like yeah, shortcut, like you can you can like you can kind of cut the course. Of yeah, there's legitimate shortcuts. You'd be running it's up like the a hill. Video game kind of. Yeah, you'd be running up the hill, and then all of a sudden you see one dude way over on this, like you know, hundred meters to your left, like hugging this, you know, Different stone line. wall, and you're like, oh shit, where's he? Like, what's this? And then he'll pop out like up over, and then all of a sudden he's like. Because so it's just kind of like get road. from A to B, like. Yeah, you you've got like checkpoints sort of thing. Yeah, got you. Um, so like Free on the all. downhill, on the first downhill, it was so foggy and whatever. I had to wait for people to so I knew where I was going like so oh really wait for, no marking like, or anything well there is but it's like it's hard you know like there's not a GPX file <laughs> on like yeah. <laughs> you're just like out there like like the one I think the guy who was in second or third like he went 10 minutes the wrong way oh really like yeah, you just fully just so the course it. changes each year no it doesn't change but you just forget but it's like yeah it's you know you can't ride it maxed out oh, got the, you. except for the day Got you, got you, got you. Yeah, like okay. they're not riding paths. You're not normal, not regularly allowed to ride a bike there. Um. So yeah, that was that was amazing. I think when I I was like really proud of my performance there because it was like the like a year before I would have been useless. You know, it yeah, was kind of like a culmination of like a bunch of things, um, and I wasn't super prepared. I just kind of was really just jumping into it. Yeah. And I like handled it well. <laughs> you know, like, and yeah, I was yeah. like, afterwards, I was like, Proud I would have been, I would have really shit the bed here like a year ago. And why, like, what, what changed? What did you well, Just like doing? the ability to adapt to the situation and realizing that like you can't control a lot of the. So it's kind of mental. So it's just constantly just like, okay, how can I get the most out of myself right now? Yeah. You know, like right now. Like, sort of and then like bike skills a few different things that like i'd picked up um but yeah mainly mental of just like just sort of being much more present and just like instead of being like uh you know <laughs> turning through the field and then looking at the hill and being like fuck this you can't ride a bike over here this is stupid and just like, yeah got you even in that thought you lost five seconds you know when you could have just stepped off and already been running <laughs> and do you think that, that so, like those things help me and do you think that that served you as well like in the more traditional racing yeah for sure because um, it, it, it simplified it a lot because you just kind of look at the demands of the event or the situation you're in and you're just like all right let's have it this you know whatever it yeah. is um, as opposed to like feeling like you're part of this like big machine of tradition and like yeah. all this shit that you kind of just do because it's like you meant to habit you know um you get back into a road race and you just kind of look at it more simply you're like okay four hours out here got this yeah. job to do <laughs> i don't know and then tell me about um i guess like what do you well another thing you did as well which i think is worth noting is the colorado trail because that was like Whoa. that seemed like that was pretty rude mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the hardest thing I did by far. Um, <laughs> by a long way. Um, yeah, I decided to do the Colorado Trail. 
it kind of came out of um after gb duo i just had this like want to do more of that mm. um and i was going to be back in colorado so i started looking at roots and whatever and then i saw the colorado trail um which looked like the most sort of challenging route that i could do in the sort of time frame i had yeah um and initially i wanted to do the there's a race that starts every year from it started di- different ends but it was starting in durango but i had to do utah and Lidl yeah and like it just didn't work out time wise so then i just decided to do it as a um you can do it as what's called like a a time trial yeah um and i linked up with a, a charity Noah's to raise some money mm. which gave me like a good motivation to do it um and yeah it's basically it's like 750k i think um across the rockies and on the bike you can do all but i think it's 150k okay um and it's proper it's the average is over 3000 meters you yeah, no average altitude average altitude is over 3000 meters you spend a lot of time like right up high yeah um and basically the clock just runs and i i didn't really have any intentions of like going for the record mm-hmm. um because I understand what goes into those things. And I think the guy who's got it did it five or six times. Yeah, really. Um, getting to where he did. And they do it on almost no sleep, um, which I didn't want to do in that sort of environment. And even still, with all those things, I was way over my head for a lot of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> way over my head. <laughs> like how? Like what, like, like what, was, what made that so much more difficult than... Obviously, the altitude... Um, altitude but like just situationally what made it so much more difficult than gb you're a long way from help yeah got there. You. it's like it's a, you it's isolated so you feel and there's isolated. very real um like consequences to mistakes you know so like i think like the first night so you do like the section from durango to silverton went pretty smooth mm-hmm was like cruising along ahead of where I thought I'd be. I was like, oh, this is great. Um, and from there to Mount Princeton Hot Springs is like, I want to say it's 250K, 270K with nothing. So you basically resupply Load there. Up. Yeah. And I was in a good mood when I did that, just like quickly in the servo, grabbed a bunch of shit, like ate a sandwich and headed out. And then I hadn't even properly researched the course. because then you went on to this section where you're sort of just teetering between like three and a half and four thousand meters for like 40 50k um and you riding all that or you walking lots of walking um lots of slow going there's no there's no way of knowing how long the next five ten k is going to take yeah fuck. sometimes takes an hour sometimes takes half an hour um so that really breaks you mentally because you have this idea of where you're going to be. Um, and so like I just, I hadn't, didn't really have much of a plan. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I feel fine. I'll just keep going. And then it got to the point when I probably wanted to sleep, which was around midnight, I guess. And that was at the high point of the whole thing. I was at like over 13,000 feet. And you're like, oh, and you in your mind, that's where you'd plan to sleep. It was just that time. Oh, got you. Yeah, you were like, okay, I was like, I'm going to go until midnight. sleep on like the summit of this. No, fucking no. It's freezing midnight. Yeah. And you also can't breathe, right? So, you're like, yeah. you're not going to sleep there. No, um, exactly. So, <laughs> then I was like, shit, this is not good. <laughs> you know, like, this is, this is that is, all you thought? <laughs> this is a bad situation, so I got to keep going. Um, and also, like, just knowing that, like, I packed pretty light, so I was like, I'd get away, like if I got into trouble and had to sleep here, I, I probably could, but it'd be very uncomfortable. And like, what were you talking when you say, you you know, you you were packed light? Like, did but you I have had a like bag? an emergency have... bivy and uh, one of those super light, like soul, uh, soul, oh fuck, what are they? Uh, Cedar Summit. Shit out of luck. Oh yeah, um, like it's, yeah. So very light. They're good, but like, not enough. 
Yeah. Not enough for like minus five or whatever it was up there. Um, and you'd be wet too, like. So, yeah, sweaty. Um, so anyway, I like pushed on. <laughs> and then I was in a situation where I was like, fuck. I'd rather have stopped by now just because of how the terrain is. Mm. Um, like big drops. Um, the lights I had weren't ideal. And so like there was a lot of shit that you just kind of second guessing like whether I can ride it or not. And you know a lot of it's not rideable. Yeah. So you're kind of coming up on stuff like, like what am I doing? Uh, can I ride it? And then you're sort of scrambling. And then so I did that for a couple of hours until I got low enough to where I could sleep. Um, I was also out of water, so then I like it was there was a creek there, filled up some water, tried to sleep there, and then thought there was a bear. So I, I was in the bag for like maybe forty five minutes, oh. <laughs> and then thought there was a bear. Was there? No, it was a cow. They graze up that high, which I didn't know. Oh yeah, that would be scary. That would be scary. yeah. I could hear there was an animal moving. Yeah, and then like also like right at that moment, as I was like, shit, there's a bear. It was fr- and it was cold in the bag because I was wet, you know. Um, so I was like, "Shit!" I had that realization. You're like, "I'm gonna have to get out of here. It's gonna be freezing. I've got to stuff everything in my bag." Also, there might just be a bear. <laughs> <laughs> and then I like was doing that, and then I was like, "And I need to shit right now." So, like, <laughs> so and like you've got bibs on, so like have to get all the way down to that base layer. Yeah. <laughs> like looking around, like, "Oh, is there a bear?" Um, so yeah that was a time Um, and then yeah like just that next only that next day I was quiet because I hadn't slept as much as I wanted to yeah and then um, the terrain was uh, really challenging and I just didn't I wasn't well researched enough so like I didn't know what was coming so it took me longer to get to Mount Princeton than I thought it would but I had to keep going because I was going to run out of food yeah. so like I was at this like catch 22 <laughs> um, so I spent like a good like 4 or 5 hours hallucinating massively to get to Mount Princeton what were your, halluc- what were your hallucinations? Uh, very just like normal to start with I was like very normal no I mean it's weird you, like I find that the hallucinations everyone's like oh hallucinations like you're out of your mind you know a lot of the time, you, for me anyway, you're very aware that you're hallucinating. It's, a, that it's yeah. hallucinating. Well, the first thing that happened was I was coming up this trail and then I knew there was like maybe 30k to get to where I had to be. And I knew it was going to take a really long time. Um, and I'd already had like a mini breakdown. I was like, okay, I'm going to get there. And then I was like, oh, Hunter on the trail, I'll... Um, I'm going to ask him how far it is. Because like I was only estimating. Yeah. Like, he'll know. He came up and I was like, oh, shit, he's gone. And I was like, oh, he left all these fucking suitcases here <laughs> on the side of the trail. And then I was like, wait, suitcases. Hunters don't have suitcases. And then I was like, looked closer. I'm like, they're rocks. They're not. And I was like, ah, oh, here it comes. So it begins. You know there's easier ways to hallucinate than that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to like go. And then it was like all these, there's these little white, um, rocks that like in that area mm-hmm. they're all along the trail you have these little white rocks that pipe out and then it's like they were all these little white dogs like those fluffy little like oh, the worst dogs. yeah you know those annoying ones that the yeah, hair in the face those ones yeah. um, and then like <laughs> all the the trees as they were coming by like on the side of the trail that was all um, like army men standing like army men. <laughs> yeah you know like like as if they were like modern lined army up. men or like yeah yeah modern army men oh no probably more like world war ii yeah gotcha. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and then just like facing him but you, i was very aware that i'm just like it's just my brain yeah. is tired so it's looking at things it doesn't quite understand and it's just making like an easy reroute to like yeah, it's just trying to make familiar sense that's a really interesting way of looking well that's all that's happening I've never thought about it yeah no, you're it's totally just like right. your brain's looking at something trying it's to make too sense tired it's trying to like and it can't like it's like you know like an old computer just like yeah so it's just like oh if I just make all these little white rocks all white dogs that's done 
<laughs> then, you yeah, know, gotcha. like, it's just like so like why don't you understand that you're path like, of oh, it's fine. but then you're like where the fuck did the but then i was like if there's from? a mountain lion actually on the trail then i might just like treat it like it's not there um yeah exactly in that so like it wasn't like i never got into a situation where i was like this is downright like stupid dangerous but i was just enough out of my yeah, like, comfort zone for right? a long period of time that i was like all right the second like there was in my head at that point i was like there's no chasing the record there's no like yep um even though at that point i think i was a pretty long way up on it but it was more out of just the necessity to get get because you just fucked up <laughs> yeah the... i was like when i get there and i got there and i was like i'm gonna sleep eight hours and like had a meal and i was like i might not even go tomorrow like i'm that fucked up i had trench foot like everything was broken but then i slept eight hours got up and was like oh actually not bad <laughs> you know like how about it get, get back after it and then yeah so the next then i was cruising along pretty good um but the i guess the nail in the coffin the next day is i, I dropped my uh spot tracker oh um, which is like the gps device that so everyone knows where That's like you the are official recording device yeah it's official recording device but more so it's like there's a no shit button on it that like oh that like sends out an if sos you, if you get into proper trouble you hold that down and then hold it down again and then the cavalry come yeah like obviously if you're a long way it's going to take them a while to get there but they know you're but in they trouble know you're there, yeah. um and like you know mum dad rage could all see where i was yeah but i lost that um like somewhere <laughs> and didn't realize for a really long time to the point where i by the time I'd realized I'd lost it, I was like, shit, where is that? And then kind of fucked around, rode back and was like, wait, I got no idea when I last yeah. saw it. And then didn't have phone reception to check the the recording online to see where it was. Where it had last. So I just had to make the call of like, oh, I'll just continue on. Mm. Um, and I pushed on to Copper Mountain. But regularly, I, was, I felt good enough I would have just kept going if I had the... Yeah, the tracker the said like, but I just knew that like, everyone would be worried. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and also that if I did get into trouble, there was no no safety net. So I slept again at um, Copper Mountain. Then the next day I started rolling. Same thing was like our oh, records way gone. Yeah, and then you have to do this hike, which if if anyone has ever done or um, is going to ever do keep in mind the hike from copper <laughs> over to break you basically you just you walk you just walk for three hours or whatever or two hours i yeah, think it right. was from copper over to the the road there at break is like 20k and mm. i did it in three hours yeah uh, oof. with the downhill <laughs> <laughs> so that was the start to the day so you're just kind of trudging through that it's just like, a good I'm morning nowhere you know and you know you're not going to stop until you get to the finish yeah so you have this idea and you're like i've got 250 yeah. or whatever k's it is to do and you're like and i've just done 20 in three hours you're like christ um and then i just like picked up a tailwind and like legs came around and then like i just started ripping like i just had this second wind and i was just like in the zone and like finally worked out just kind of how the trail worked and like it was mm. a lot more rideable and it just clicked same thing it's like that day three just <laughs> yeah like got you yeah clicks. you came into it um and and then i just started honing in on the i started doing the, the calculations in my head and i was just like holy shit if i keep this pace up it's gonna be super tight oh like you still might get the record yeah it only like halfway through the day i was just like oh, i'm ripping i'm ripping wait hang on a minute like this is gonna be close you know yeah. like if i keep on it like i'm in with the shout here yeah um and was ripping 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 and i was like oh this is gonna be tight you know um and then in the last four hours i finally fell apart yeah got you and like had a stupid fall smash my hair uh light so then I only had a headlamp and I knew the headlamp I had, I only had like three hours of 
Oh, battery, battery on it. So I was trying to run it on the low. Oh, so it's like hard to see. It's hard to see. <laughs> We're trying to get fast. And then like um, the riders, it was super dimming. I saw a mountain lion. Oh, you yeah. actually saw one? Yeah, two in a den. So it wasn't a hallucination? No, actually, I was of sound mind. Dude, imagine point. imagine if you like you thought you saw a cow, but you were just, <laughs> it was a it was a mountain, you were hallucinating <laughs> that it was a, it was a cow, you're like, oh, it's fine, it's a, yeah. it's a cow, but it was actually a mountain lion. And then I was like, just, no one ever down. thinks that way. Like, I just needed to be down. And so then when, once your brain goes to that, you start getting really slow and sloppy. Yeah. And then my light fully died, so... I only had my iPhone. <laughs> Dude, I've done that before. That yeah. fucking sucks. And I pulled out the duct tape and just taped, taped it to, to the, the bag. And couldn't see shit. <laughs> and I missed the record by like two hours. Like totally shit the bag. Dude, that's, um, that's pretty wild though. Considering like the way you explain that. It's like it's a clusterfuck. But then you yeah, still went pretty close. The prob- yeah, I think that... The thing with Colorado Trail is now there's not like a week that goes by that I don't think that yeah exactly how I would go back and do go it. Go back and do it, yeah. But and you, are you going to? the obsession. Like speaking to people who have done it, I think it takes a really long time to get it. Yeah. <laughs> are you, are you going to go back and... Uh, I think I will one, one day. Yeah. Like I'm not in a rush because I've got... I was humbled by it massively. And what else last before we wrap up here what motivates you what do you want to accomplish in cycling like you know what's left for you to Um, for you to do or not left but you know what I mean I mean the thing is it's like all the like the races that we did in the last year it just kind of opened a a can of worms (laughs) in that like there was a lot that if I if I thought about road cycling, the list of like things I want to do before I finish is quite short. It's not ins- insignificant. Yeah. I'd really like to ride the Tour de France. Yeah. Right. Like everyone would love to do that, um, or to win like a a World Tour race of some kind. Yeah. Stage whatever. Um. Outside of that, like, it's hard to to think of like I don't know it's a pretty short list of things but now that and like up until last year that was really it whereas now like just on the top of my head there's like four or five events I can think of that I want to do in the next few years what are they Cape Epic Cape Epic um, Tour Divide yep Silk Mountain yep uh, Race to the Rock I'd really like to win Leadville Yep. Um, yeah, that's just like me thinking now. But like outside of that, there's still a whole yeah. bunch of things. And then like, there's even just like, I just have ideas of like just routes and stuff we could do. Like, mm. like creating new routes and like setting times. And I don't know, that sort of aspect of still like competitive in a sense but it's it's very different than requires a very different skill set than what i'm used to um so i guess that motivates me that i feel like a novice again in a lot of ways yeah got you, you know? so it's like like having like gone to like even you're excited just, about not being good at yeah yeah like not, even turning good, up to cape you know epic I mean. this time and it didn't happen and then being like holy shit these guys rip yeah you know yep. so like the last two weeks i've just been riding my mountain bike as much as i can and like working on skills because that like yeah excites me right so like the idea that it's just because you you'd worked out road cycling doesn't qualify for any of these other events. so it's like it's the challenge that you're that you're excited by it's yeah. not not necessarily the victory it's not like oh sweet on the road i'm now you know accomplished and skilled enough there that i'm that i can legitimately win these races it's like no i'd rather go and like spend time figuring out this other yeah aspect of the sport totally because that's like that's the most rewarding part is when you Mm. like acquire a new skill and then put it into practice and then find yourself doing something that you know whatever it was 12 months before you would have said it was impossible for you yeah like that's so rewarding it's more rewarding than like 
a race win, you know. Um, like even last year, I forget, I fully forget often that I won a stage in Utah. Well, yeah, you didn't. Even, I didn't. I forgot that too. Yeah, but like often people are like, oh yeah, Utah, and I'm like, holy shit, yeah, yeah, that I was in there. Now it's like your first Week road before, win for a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Week before um, Colorado Trail, that's probably why I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you probably <laughs> um, did some. Yeah, did some damage. Damage. Um, Tissue but damage. yeah, I don't know. That to me is more um, rewarding. Yeah. Just like that's where I'm at at the moment. <laughs> nice, man. Well, thank you very much. I guess we'll check back in with you a little bit later on in the year. Too easy. Seeing, uh, I mean, yeah, whatever the rest of the year is going to, uh, <laughs> yeah, how, that, how that's going to play out. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, but thank you, man. No worries. No lucky bugs. No lucky bugs. Look, before we wrap up, Isaac, I just wanted to tell you what my biggest takeaway. I don't know what it was for you, but but what my biggest takeaway was from my conversation with Lockie, and that was uh, why is it when you're hallucinating that you always hallucinate the object into a far more frightening figure? and not the other way around. For example, why don't you ever hear stories of someone hallucinating like a nice, soft, king-size, sealy, posturepedic bed with like a down quilt uh, that turns out to be, you know, a mountain lion. It's always the other way around. It's always like, oh, I saw a mountain lion, but it was like a rock. I mean, I don't know the answer, but I would say it's definitely... Well, I shouldn't say definitely because I have no idea. But I could guess that it has to do something with, you know, there's just surviving, making it through. Uh, but that's a question for the audience. And I think if anyone has an answer, that'd be great. Well, that's about enough of that. Thank, thank you uh, so much to everybody for listening to the second episode of the podcast currently known as the Thereabouts podcast. And uh, we've got a few more episodes coming in hot over the next few days and weeks. So make sure you keep your ears to the ground for those. And in the meantime, uh, make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And also, we pre- you know we really appreciate uh, all the feedback and, and the questions that have been sent in. So please keep that going. And if you have any questions, recommendations, people you want to hear from on the podcast, um, Hit us up on Instagram or our email address, howdy at thereabouts.co. And we'd be excited to hear your thoughts. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Isaac Carson. And I'm Angus Morton. Take it easy, stay safe, and be courteous out there. It's sort of like uh, the NPR, you know, channel, where they have all those awesome names. (laughs) Exactly. Latch Latch me sling and... I don't know. It's cool how they start. Yeah, every hour. This is Let Me See. I'm here in Washington, D.C. <laughs> exactly. Hey. Angus Morton doesn't have quite the same ring to it, does it? It doesn't have the same, like, uh, suede smoker's jacket feel. Same with Isaac Carson. Mm, and, like... The devil is out to destroy everything good that God has in his creation, including Australia and the United States Anyway, you guys got a lot of grit. Mm. Yeah. Okay.